0: Amen. Well, good morning, church. What good news is that, that our, our God has been raised from the dead? We don't have to just wait till Easter to celebrate the resurrection. Is that good news, church? Amen? Man, y'all excited about that? Good, I hope so. Uh, well, good morning. Haines Creek is good to be with you today. My name is Travis, i the pastor here. If it is your first time, I just want to say a special welcome to you. We are thrilled and excited that you are here worshiping with us, and I would love a chance just to connect and thank you for your visit. So you can do me a huge favor. Just let me know that you're here. You can do that a couple different ways. One, you just text "welcome" to that number right there. Just pull out your phone, text "welcome" to that number. It's all you got to do. Uh, or, if you prefer, we have our welcome cards out here at our welcome table. Right as you exit back out into the hallway, uh, just fill one of those cards out, leave it on the table, and like I said, that gives me a chance to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit. So, if you do me that favor, I would really appreciate that. And. Uh, we're going to continue on this week in our, in our series, Through the Book of Acts. Uh, last week, we, we took a break. Uh, I, I was able to take a break from preaching as uh, Willie led us last week. Again, Willie, thank you. I'm going to embarrass him a little bit. Thank you so much for doing that. You did a great job. Uh, didn't he, church, didn't he do an awesome job? Thank you so much for doing that. So appreciate you preaching for us. Uh, he preached on the topic of spiritual warfare and the battles that we face as believers in, in the victory that Christ has won. It was awesome. If you weren't here last week, check it out on our podcast. Uh, but we're gonna pick, off, pick up where we left off in Acts this week. So a couple weeks ago, we finished out Acts chapter 16 and just kind of refresh our memory as to where we were. Uh, we've been showing you the map uh, where Paul is going in his second missionary journey. So I wanna put that back up on the screen. We'll reference that. Uh, so, oh wait, that's the first one. Sorry, I probably told you the wrong thing, Blake. That's my bad. Anyways, he, uh, he left in Acts chapter 16, went back up through uh, what is modern-day southern Turkey, through the province of Galatia, back where all the cities that we saw on his first missionary journey, he hit those, encouraged the church there, and then uh, made his way to the, the western coast of Turkey, crossed over the Aegean Sea into modern-day Greece, Uh, and and camped out at Philippi, the city of Philippi, for a while. So that's what Acts chapter 16, we saw him preaching the gospel, planning a church in Philippi. And then when we left Acts chapter 16, we finished that. He's leaving Philippi on his way to the next place where he's going, and that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 17. So starting in verse 1 of Acts chapter 17, it says this. After they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks as well as a number of the leading women. So they leave Philippi, make their way to Thessalonica. That's about uh, 100 miles. It took about three days to get from Philippi to Thessalonica. And here they are. Paul does what he always does. He, if he, there's a synagogue there. He goes and he preaches at the synagogue. We see him preaching, it says, for three Sabbaths, so, so three weeks. But he was most likely there for much longer than just those three Sabbaths. So he's in Thessalonica preaching the gospel. Let's continue on verse 5. But the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out into the public assembly. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before city officials, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has welcomed them. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset. After taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they release them. Okay, so like we've seen several times now, when Paul is preaching the gospel, people respond, putting their faith in Jesus. Some of the Jewish people get mad, they get jealous, and here they go attacking Paul and Silas. And this is exactly what we saw in Philippi, right? They got mad in Philippi, they dragged Paul and Silas before the city officials, they got thrown into prison. So they're trying to do that same here. And what's, what's ironic about it is it says they, they found some wicked men from the marketplace. I don't know what made these guys wicked men, but just, just bad dudes, all right? Shady dudes they found hanging out in the marketplace and were like, hey, let's start a riot. So they start a riot and then they accuse Paul of starting a riot. Like it makes no sense. Makes no sense, but that's what they're doing. They're trying to get them in trouble. They can't find Paul, so they get Jason. Now, Jason is most likely their host uh, for their time in Thessalonica, much like Lydia in Philippi was the host for them there. She had the church meeting in her house. Most likely that's Jason here in Acts chapter 17. There. He's hosting Paul and Silas, maybe even hosting the church that's been planted there. So they can't find Paul and Silas, so they dragged Jason and some other folks out there. And, and eventually they let those guys go, but after taking what's referred to as a security bond, it's most likely a fine. And most likely what, what that fine carried with it was a guarantee that Jason was going to make sure Paul and Silas and Timothy get out of the city. Because in verse 10, this is what we see. So verse 10, let's keep going. As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a number of the prominent Greek women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came thereto, agitating and upsetting the crowds. Then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to go to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed." Okay, do we have that map? Yep, look at you, Blake. Blake is is the man, guys. He's back there by himself. Y'all give Blake a hand. He's doing an incredible job. Thank you, Blake. Okay, so as you can, as you can see, they, again, they, they made their way across southern, that's modern-day Turkey. So southern Turkey made their way up to the coast. They crossed over into modern-day Greece. There's Philippi, there's Amphipolis, there's Apollonia, there's Thessalonica down there, and then, then Berea is, is a little bit over. So Berea is about 45 miles away from Thessalonica. It's about a day's journey. So that's where they've been, and, and where we end here in Acts chapter six, 17, Paul is brought all the way down to Athens, and that's where we'll pick up next week. But, but for now, we're, we're hanging out in these first 15 verses of Acts chapter 17. And in this passage, Luke, the author of Acts, gives us a comparison. He compares the cities of Thessalonica and Berea. And the main difference that Luke gives us here is their response to the word of God, their response to the scriptures. See, the Jews in Thessalonica responded with opposition. They responded with riots. They responded with, man, we got to get Paul and Silas out of here. We don't like what these guys are doing. But then when they come to Berea, we're told that the Bereans were of more noble character. So they're commended for their character. Why? Because they received the word with, what's that word in Acts 17, 11? Uh, They received the word with eagerness. Eagerness. They didn't respond in opposition. They received it with eagerness. That, that idea, uh, that word of eagerness carries with it this idea of, of rushing into something. Like they're, they're excited. They can't wait to hear more of God's word. They can't wait to dig deeper into the scriptures. They can't wait to hear more about Jesus and the gospel that Paul is preaching. And by comparing these two cities and saying that the, the Bereans were more noble, what Luke is doing, what, what Luke is doing here, what he's guiding us to is to say, hey, we need to be more like the Bereans not like the Thessalonians, right? We need to be more like the Bereans. We need to see the word of God in all its beauty and wonder and amazement and and come rushing into it, coming into it with eagerness, daily examining, studying, digging into the Bible. That's what we are called to do. Too often, though, I think, if we're honest with ourselves, too often we, we can be more like the Thessalonians, right? We can be more like the Thessalonians where, you know, maybe we don't read our Bible, we don't study it, we, we might not listen to it, we might not like what it says, we don't walk in obedience to it. Too often we, we can be like the Thessalonians. And I think when we, when we look at Christianity across our country, I mean, there's lots of different surveys you can look at and what, what's, I can give you a bunch of different facts about the Bible and about how we view the Bible and things like that. Two stand out to me though. One, when, whenever there's a survey done of all Americans, the vast majority of Americans own a Bible in their home. They have some version of the Bible in their home. mean, we're talking upwards of 70, 75, 80% of people have a Bible. And then when we dig into it, what we find out is only a third of professing Christians actually read their Bible every day. A third of people, that'd be about 12, 13, 14 of you in this room, are reading our Bibles every single day. So we, we like the Bible. We might even revere and respect the Bible, might want to own a Bible, but it sits like this most of the week. And the point that Paul is making here, the main idea, the main point I, I hope to get across to you today, what I think Luke is trying to tell us in this passage, is we are to read Our Bible. Or to read our Bible. And look, that's why it was given to us, right? Like God gave us this, His Word, His Scriptures, for us to read and study. This is how He reveals Himself to us. And it's meant to be read, it's meant to be studied. So we can know all these different things about the Bible, but it does no good if we're not using it for why it's been given. We're not using it for the purpose that it's been given. Now, look, the most important fact that I can give you about the Bible is this. It's, it comes from 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. All Scripture is inspired, which means it comes directly from God. Some of your translations might say it's been breathed out by God. It is God-breathed. That is is God-inspired. So although all 66 books of your Bible have been written by about 40 plus different authors, there is one main author, and that's God. So although human authors were writing things down, those words were coming directly from God. This is his word. It's been given to us to read and study and dig into and learn about him and who he is and his ways and how he wants us to live, right? It says that that it's profitable for us. That that word means useful. It's useful for us. It helps us. It's been given to us to to teach us, to help us grow, to to know who God is and how we're to live in light of that truth. That's why he's given it to us. And just like anything, just like anything, if we're going to use something Uh, to be profitable we got to use it in the right way right it's like any any tool that you have you got to use it in the way that it was designed and given so I had a a couple fence posts uh, in my backyard get loose this week so I had had to fix those so what I do I I went and got some nails and I got my hammer and I hammered some new nails in there and now they're all tight but what if I were to grab some nails and then on my way out the door I grab the spatula from the kitchen to go and hammer those nails in that's not going to work out so well for me right Or what if I'm making pancakes for my kids, and I'm ready to flip them, and instead of grabbing the spatula, I grab my hammer from the garage? That's not going to work out so well for me. It might provide my kids some laughter, making fun of me, like, look at Dad, he's crazy. But that's not going to accomplish what I want to do, right? I'm using a tool in the way that it was not intended. And sometimes we can use the Bible in a way that it's not intended. So today, in hopes of encouraging you to dig in and read our Bibles I want to give you five ways to help us read and use our Bible in the way that God intended. Okay, so five ways to help us be more like the Bereans, to approach the word with eagerness and, and daily digging into them. So the first way is to read the Bible with the right approach. Read the Bible with the right approach. See, before we even open up our Bible and start reading our Bible, we need to make sure that we're, we're coming to the Bible in the right way, with the right approach approach, with the right mindset. See, the Bible, first and foremost, is a book about God. This is about God. This is his word revealing himself to us. This book is all about God, which means it's not about us. It's not about us. But I think, again, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times we approach the Bible like it's about us. Instead of, first and foremost, asking, what does this say about God? We come to it and say, what does this mean for me? What can I get out of this? What can you, Bible, do for me right here, right now? So we start out with this approach of saying, now how can you teach me? How can you help me? How can you comfort me, Bible? Rather than saying, God, what can I learn about you? What can I see about you? So I want to give you some, some different ways that we approach the Bible that, that becomes more me-focused rather than God-focused. These are version, these approaches that, that I've personally used. I think I've seen them uh, with other people as well. So the first way that we approach the Bible that makes it all about us is what I call the Google approach, the Google approach. Uh, so what do you do when you don't know something? I don't know about you, but the first thing I do when I don't know an answer to something, I pull out my phone and I Google it, Right? Type it into my phone, what is blah, 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 blah. I ask, I ask that question, oh, oh, here here we go. Now I've got like a billion different articles that teach me what this is, right? Like it's, it's the where I go to to get answers. And I think a lot of times, that's the primary way we use the Bible. We come to it just looking for answers. We got a question, let me go to the Bible, get my answer, boom, I close it, I move on. Now look, the Bible does provide answers to a lot of different questions, right? But that's not... The only thing that it does. And too often when we approach it like Google, what do I do with Google when I'm done with it? Well, I close it out and I move on with my life. And that's what we do with the Bible when we approach it this way. Oh, I got my answer. Okay, close it. Boom, I'm done. I'm moving on with my life. It's all about me in that moment. It's not about what God has to show me and what God wants to do in that moment. It's just about me getting an answer. So the Google approach. Another approach is the fortune teller approach. The fortune teller approach. I think sometimes we come to the scriptures looking for specific direction for our lives. And look, does the Bible guide us? Does it point us in the right direction? Does it give us uh, wisdom for life's decisions? Absolutely. But again, if that's all we're using it for, we're shortchanging ourselves. So sometimes we approach the Bible like, you know, Should I marry this person? Should I stay married to this person? Should I take this job? Should I take this promotion? Should I move to this place? Should I sell my house? Should I do this or that? And we come to the Bible looking for those answers, and I don't know about you, but when I was marrying Kendra, I didn't find a verse in here that said, Travis, on this day, at this time, you will meet Kendra, and that's the person you're supposed to marry. That's how it works. When we approach it like this, where we're just like, man, I got... I got this big life question, and I need an answer, so I go to scripture. We treat it like a magic eight ball. You remember those things? You, you ask a question, you shake it up, it pops up with an answer. You don't like it. Oh, I'm going to shake it again. I'm going to get another answer. Sometimes we do that with the Bible, right? Like we shake it up. God, what do you have for me to say? Nope, nope, didn't like that. Let me try again. Oh, I like that verse. That verse I do like. I'm going to use that verse to make this ginormous life decision when it's like, no, you just, you just read something that led you to the, like, that's what we do, though. It's the fortune teller approach, right? Another way that we do this, uh, another approach is the pinball approach pinball approach. And we, we use this when we, when we bounce around from subject to subject. And we just treat the, the Bible like a big thematic study on something. So maybe it's, you know, we're, we're wanting to be a more godly man or a more godly woman. So we're going to do a study on that. And as a godly man, I want to I let me learn what I can about Joseph and Moses and Nehemiah and Paul. Okay, cool, now I know how to be a godly man. Or maybe, you know what, I want to be a more godly parent. So let me do a study On parenting, or you know, any number of things, better, better spouse, but know more about how to handle your money according to God's words. Let me do a study on that. And look, there's nothing wrong with thematic, topical-driven studies. I, I think they have their place. I think they can be really beneficial. But the problem is, is when we treat the Bible as just that, as just that. So we're just bouncing around from place to place. We never read a passage or a section in its full context to really understand what's going on. We're just getting pieces of information and then we, we move on, right? Like, we don't read any other book like that. So I don't know why we do that with the Bible. It's like, you, you buy a book at the store, you want to read it, you don't like, oh, let me just start randomly at chapter 37. Okay, here we go. I'm just going to start reading. Like, nobody does that. Nobody does that. But that's what we do with the Bible. We just bounce around, bounce around. So look, that has its place, but that can't be all that we use the Bible for. We're missing out on so much more that God wants to show us. All right, another approach is, is the medicine approach. The medicine approach. When I feel bad, when I feel bad or I'm sick, what do I do? I take medicine. You know, I got a headache, I take some Advil. If I have a cold or a cough or whatever, I got an infection, I go to the doctor, they give me medicine, I take that, and I feel better. And sometimes that's how we approach the Bible. I, I'm, I'm down in life. I'm upset. I'm I'm hurting, I'm walking through a difficult time, so I go to the Bible to give me comfort, to make me feel better. And when you look at some of these surveys about how people use the Bible, one of the most popular reasons why people read their Bible is that, is to get comfort. And does the Bible comfort? Yes, absolutely. Some of the darkest moments in my life, God has brought me out of that through reading and studying his word. It absolutely provides comfort, yes, but it does more than that. And here's the problem with this approach. When I'm feeling healthy, when there's nothing wrong with me, do I take medicine? No, I don't take medicine. So if everything's fine in life, if everything's going well, if I'm happy and content and satisfied at that moment, and I only use my Bible for comfort, am I going to read my Bible? No, because I feel fine. Why would I read that? I don't, I don't need comforting right now. So again, there's, there's more to it. Another approach is, is the pick-and-choose approach, the pick-and-choose, and what this is is I only read what I like. So, you know, a lot of times, if we're honest, again, with ourselves, we, we tend to, to lean more towards the New Testament than the Old Testament, right? We, we love the stories about Jesus. We like Paul's letters because they make sense to us, right? He writes in these propositional statements, if you do this, then this will happen, right? Like, it just makes sense to us. So I, I like to read those things, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out there. Or you know, guys, we're, we're, we're pretty simple in life and we like practical things, so what, what book do we run to? Proverbs, like all guys love Proverbs, right? It's just simple, it's straightforward, lots of good wisdom in there. But here's the problem, if we only read what we like, again, we're missing out on big sections of scripture. God has a lot to show you in those prophets with the funny names, all right? He's got a lot to show you in those weird, crazy stories in the Old Testament. He's got a lot to show you in that crazy book that ends your Bible called Revelation. A lot of good stuff in there. All scripture is given to us by God. And all scripture is meant to be read and studied. So we can't just pick and choose what we like and don't like. And the last approach that I think we use a lot is what I'm calling the baby bird approach. The baby bird approach. So what do do baby birds do when they need to eat? Their mama bird has to go and get the food partially digest it, and then give them that food because they can't do it on their own. So when we approach the Bible like this, we let other people do the hard work of studying for us. So instead of reading my Bible during the week, well, I'm just going to wait until the preacher on Sunday gets up and talks about the Bible, and I learn from him, and and I'm good to go for the rest of the week. Or you know what, I don't really want to study my Bible there, so you know what, let me go listen to some other podcasts or sermons out there. Let me go read a book about Jesus and about the Bible to learn about God rather than actually reading the Bible. So we let other people do the work for us, and we just rely on their wisdom and their insight. Is there a place for good books? Absolutely. I love reading good books. I love reading books about theology and just random Christian stuff. Like, I love that. That's awesome. Podcasts are great. I listen to podcasts all the time, y'all. Love podcasts. There's a lot of great podcasts out there, a lot of great preachers out there to learn from. But nothing compares to the word of God. And nothing can substitute us actually reading this for ourselves. We can't rely on other people. We've got to do it ourselves. Okay. All right, so does the Bible do these things? Does it teach us? Does it provide answers? Does it provide comfort? Does it provide guidance? Do we draw application for it for our lives? Yes, absolutely, yes. But if that's all we're coming to scripture for, we're coming with a me-first mindset rather than a God-first mindset where we see this as primarily about God and not about us. So we have to come to it with the right approach. All right, second point. We have to read with our mind and our heart. Read with your mind and heart. So the goal of our Christian lives, I think we would all agree with this, is, is to grow closer to Jesus, to live and be and look more like Jesus, right? Like throughout our lives, we want to we look more like Jesus, not less like Jesus, right? So we want to we grow in our love and our appreciation and our devotion to Jesus, I mean, Jesus confirms this in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven. 37. It's a verse that we read all the time around here. It's his answer to the question, what's the greatest commandment? What's the, the greatest, most important thing that I can do with my life? It's this. He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The greatest thing that I can do as a believer, the most important thing that I can do, is to love God with everything that I have. Love God with everything that I have, including our heart and our mind, and our mind. That's an important piece that I think often gets left out. And when we talk about loving, we talk, yeah, that comes from the heart, right? But we also love with our mind. Look at what Romans 12, 2 says. It says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So when Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, what he means is is stop living in sin. Stop living according to your old ways. You, You put that aside. You're no longer supposed to look like the world. You're supposed to look like Jesus. And how do we do that? We renew our mind. We renew our mind. A renewed mind leads to a changed behavior. A renewed mind leads to deeper love of God. The more we know about God, the better and more we should be able to love him. That's true with anything in life. I mean, just think about it. Those of you that, that are married, do you know more about your spouse now compared to when you first met them? You know more. I would hope so. If not, we got a problem. You probably need to set up some marriage counseling and I'll, I'll help you with that, all right? We should know more about them. And the more we know, the more we should be able to love. Like, if I think back to when I first met Kendra, if I was buying her a gift when we were dating or early years of marriage, I mean, honestly, some of it was guesswork, right? Like, you try your best, you try to know exactly what she wants, and you just just hope that it, it lands, right? But now, 13 years into our marriage, I know far better what she likes, what would speak to her, how to love her in the way that she receives best. So I'm able to love her better the more I know about her. And the more I know about her, the, the larger and bigger my love for her grows, right? That's why when we say, as, as married folks in here, like, I love my spouse more than when we first met, that's what that means. I know them better. I know them deeper. I have a closer relationship with them that is built off of knowledge and love. Any hobby that we have, too, right? I think about you got a hobby that you're just really interested, you love it, you really like it, you want to do it. What do we do? We learn as much as we can about that. We learn as much as we can about it because we're, we're interested in it. It's the same with our relationship with God. The more we know about him, the more we'll love. If we want to grow in our love, in our, in our devotion to God, to live more for him, part of that is growing in our knowledge of him. Learning more about who he is, about his truths, about his ways, and the best place to learn about God is his word it's this. This is why he gave it to us. This is his revelation to us to learn more about him, to grow in our knowledge of him. Do so you want to learn more about God? Start with his word. Read the word. So when we read our Bibles, we read to learn. We lead to, we read to increase our knowledge about God. Look, look at what, what Paul is doing here in, in Thessalonica, verses two and three here of Acts 17. It says, as usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving. He was using scripture to teach people about Jesus. This guy knew his Bible. He knew his word, and that didn't just happen by accident. He took time to spend reading and studying and growing in his knowledge of God. The Bereans, again, were commended. Why? Because they approached with eagerness in 1711. It also says that they examined their scriptures daily, The word examine means intense study of something. And they were doing that every single day. Part of why we read the Bible is to learn. It's to love God with all our mind. And look, we don't just read to just gain knowledge, right? It's not just knowledge for knowledge's sake, because what that's going to turn you into is a prideful person that just thinks they know more about the Bible and about God than everybody else out there. I'm sure you've been around folks like that. I know I have. I know I've been somebody like that before in my life. If we're just learning for knowledge's sake, then it's not sinking down into our heart, and that's, that's a broken system. Again, the more we learn, the more we love God with our mind, the more we should live for him. The more our devotion and love for him should grow. A renewed mind leads to a changed behavior. So we read with our mind and our heart. All right, number three. Number three, we read with a plan. We read with a plan. So, all right, so we're, we're this is recap. So we're, we're coming to the Bible with the right approach, right? We, we, we agree that we need to read the Bible, and we agree that we need to approach it as it's all about God and not about me. And then we, we know, all right, let me, let me read to learn more about God so that I can grow in my love and devotion for him. Like, we're ready. So, so what do I do now? What do I do now? How do I get started? What, what's the first step? What do we, like, we need a plan, right? Anytime we set out to accomplish something, We need a plan or else we're just going to be guessing and we're just going to be spinning our wheels and we're not going to really get any traction. We're not going to really go anywhere. We need a plan. And look, there's lots of plans out there. Again, you got a question, you go to Google. You could Google right now, how do I read my Bible, steps to reading my Bible, what's the best practice for reading my Bible, and you can find a ton of resources out there, a ton of resources. There's a lot of different really good, awesome ways to read and study and rightly understand and apply your Bible. I'll point you in a a direction that I typically do, but again, this is not like you know end-all, be-all. You have to do it this way. But let me just kind of give you some basic steps and tips to getting started and studying really deeply and reading deeply your Bible. And and one of the resources that I would point you to, uh, I've even taken uh, some of the stuff from this sermon from this book. Uh, It's Women of the Word by Jen Wilkin. And yes, I know I just recommended a book for women to a group of men and women. Guys, get over it. It's a really good book, Okay. It's a really good book. Get over the title. Get over how she addresses women primarily. It's awesome, okay? So if you're stuck, if you want to plan, how do I get started studying and reading my Bible? Start there. Start there, okay? So let me just give you the basic steps that I teach people. And again, let me just preface this with, with saying I love doing this. Like, I love talking about this. I could go for the next two, three hours on this topic alone. Don't worry. I'm not going to do that to y'all. All right? I'm not going to do that to you. But I do have resources that I can point you to if you're like, man, I, I need more than what you just told me. I want to know more about this plan. And about, I want to know more about the steps to study and interpret and apply my Bible. Just please reach out to me. And let me know. Uh, I taught a class on this at my last church that's still online, all the resources, podcasts, teaching for it. I can send you all that. I can set up a time for us to talk. Just know you're not alone. You're not alone in this. If you need help, if you feel stuck, if you're like, I want to read, I just don't know how and I want to get started please let me know. I want to help you. Okay, so three basic steps to studying our Bible. The first step is comprehension. Comprehension. So we're seeking to answer, what does it say? This is just basic, surface-level reading comprehension. When we study a passage, what does it say? What's it about? What's going on? Who are the characters? What are they doing? What's happening in here? What are we seeing? Is there anything uh, going on? Like, what's the big main idea here? Like, those are the kind of questions that we're asking ourselves when we read any passage of Scripture— What is happening? That's what we got to get to first. Just at a basic level, what's going on? So comprehension, seeking to answer, what does it say? Once we get that, we can move on to the next step, which is interpretation. So step number two, interpretation, and we're asking, what does it mean? What does it mean? And we're not drawing personal application yet, right? Like, that's the next step. So we're just talking, what does this mean? Essentially what we're saying is, what does this teach us about God? What does this teach us about God? What does this teach us as his people? In light of what it teaches about God, what does it say about us, right? So what does it say about God? What does it say about man? What's going, like, what what does it mean? What does it mean? And then the third step, application, that's where we pull it in and make it practical. So now I know what it means. I know what it says about God. I know what it says for us as people in light of what it says about God. So now how do I actually apply that to my life right here, right now? So application, we're seeking to answer, what does it mean to me? How can I apply the truths in this passage to my life right now? Because that's going to look different for me than it does for you sometimes. So what, is it, what does it mean for me? Okay, so that's three steps. Comprehension, interpretation, application. Again, I taught a three-week class on this for like about an hour and a half each session on just these things. So if you need more information, I've got plenty of information to give you, okay? All right, so just some other tips as you're getting started with a plan. Here's what I would recommend. Get a good translation. Get a good translation of the Bible, and what I mean by that is get a translation that focuses more on the literal side of interpretation. So when you look at Bible translations, I promise not to bore you too much with this, there's a spectrum. So there's more literal word-for-word approaches, which means that they try to find an English word that fits with the Greek or the Hebrew in that passage, and try to make it make sense as much as they possibly can in keeping the grammar and the sentence structure and all that stuff in the original languages. And then there's more of a thought for thought, paraphrase kind of approach where it's like, let me, take, let me take these words, let me take these sentences and just kind of you know, paraphrase it to the best that we can. right? So I would say if you're, when you're studying scripture, find something that is more on the literal side. So some examples of this would be uh, the ESV, which I know a lot of you guys use. It's the English Standard Version. Uh, the CSB, which is what I preach from on Sundays, the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, those would be the two top ones that I would recommend. But there's some really good ones. New King James is a good for this. The NASB, if you want like really literal, like go to the NASA, NASB, the, the New American Standard Bible. Just forewarning it's going to be clunky in some spots, okay? Just, just keep that in mind. Um, it's going to be a little hard to read. So that's why, honestly, you guys might be wondering, like, why did we switch? Why did I switch from reading from the ESV on Sundays to the CSB on Sundays? It's just that. It's readability. I feel like the CSB does a great job preserving the literal translation method, but making it a little easier to read. Like, sometimes the ESV, and especially the NASB, sometimes the New King James, it can just be a little clunky, and you're like, man, like, Nobody talks like that. I've got to get a dictionary to look up what that word meant. Like You, don't, you shouldn't have to do that with, with your Bible reading all the time. So that's why I like the CSB. It's a literal translation, very solid, very faithful to the original text, but it's also readable and understandable and accessible. So pick a good translation. Find a good study Bible. Lots of good study Bibles out there that give you a lot of good helps when you're reading. So the ESV, CSB, uh, any version Bible that you get, like any, any translation, typically has a really good study Bible with it, invest in that. It'll be money well spent. So find a good translation, find a good study Bible, and then when you're ready to read, pick a book and read it from start to finish. Go through it, start to finish. And if this is new for you, if you've been using maybe one of those other approaches, maybe more topical, maybe more pick and choose, like I just stay with what I like, and I've never really done this, read through a whole book and really study it in depth. If you've never done that before, here's what I would recommend. Pick something that will be a little easier to get started with. So again, I, most people like the New Testament. Most people like Paul's letters. So if this is new for you, what I always recommend people do is start with the Book of Philippians. Philippians is an easy entry point for this. It's four chapters long. It's very simple. It's very easy to draw some application from it. Sure, there's some complicated. So there's some stuff that'll make you work, but it's not like you know starting with Romans or something like that. It's a little bit more in depth and complicated. So I would encourage you, have never done this before, pick a book to start with. And I personally, just your pastor's recommendation, start with Philippians. And then utilize some really good, there's a lot of really good resources out there. So if you're looking for more, uh, you know, historical background, BibleProject.com has historical background videos on every book of your Bible, and they're awesome. They're amazing. Check that stuff out. If you want to know more history, check that out. Uh, Biblehub.com, if you want to get into some of the original language stuff, if you're a nerd like me and want to do that, but you're like, I've never taken a Greek or Hebrew class because I'm not that much of a nerd, Travis, but I still want to do it, Biblehub.com is awesome. They have a great, what's called an interlinear translation on there where it has the original language and then English words on top of that, and you can click on the original language, and it will take you to what that word actually means and how to pronounce it and all that fun stuff. It's a great resource. You can get the Bible app or BibleGateway.com, things like that that allow you to read the translation in multiple, or to read the passage in multiple translations. Like you don't have to buy 50 different Bibles. You can just utilize really good online resources, okay? There's a lot of good stuff out there. Again, if you're looking for more, uh, let me know. Another thing, another tip that I would tell you is uh, take notes, take notes. I have a journal that I, that I keep track of everything that I'm reading, I'm learning, prayer requests, everything. I, I keep it all in a journal, take notes. Also, I should have brought it, but I have a, a journaling Bible for my own personal time, and if I were to show you like, what, I'm, what I'm reading through, you'll see there's a bunch of different marks, there's things underlined, circled, there's notes all over the place. Why do I do that? Because I'm reading to learn. And if I don't write it down, I don't know about you, but if I don't write it down, if I don't take notes, it's gone. I have no hope of remembering. that. That's why if you tell me something on Sunday, just know by the time I get home, I've forgotten all about that. So if you need something from me, text, email me something. Help me out here, because I will forget it, all right? Or if you don't see me, like, hey, let me take this down on my phone, write a note, write something down, I'm gonna forget it, all right? So I take notes. I recommend that as well. And then I I would also say the last tip here, find time and fight for consistency. Find a time that will provide some consistency for you. You Yeah, Up until, I'll just be honest with you all, up until um, my wife started back at work full-time this year in August teaching, and up until that, I had a lot of margin, right? Like she was doing all of this stuff at home, caring for the kids, taking them wherever they needed to go, places like that, but now that she's gone back to work, I get to help shoulder some of that. So I'm, I'm kind of mainly transporting Mila, our youngest, to the babysitters, to school, whatever. If the kids got doctor's appointments, it's easier for me to go take them than it is for Kendra to take off of work at the school. So uh, I've got a little less margin in my life. And what I learned a little while ago is, man, I'm, I'm really inconsistent with my Bible reading time. Really inconsistent. I need to find better consistency. And the only time that I could find that would be consistent is before everybody else in the house woke up. So now I'm waking up at 5 a.m. to study my Bible. And y'all, I am not a morning person. Like some of y'all can wake up and you just be your normal self and happy and you're just ready to start the day. That's not me, okay? If you talk to me before I've had at least two cups of coffee, I'll be the angriest person in the world, all right? Kendra can confirm this. I am not happy when I wake up in the morning. Much rather stay up later at night than wake up early, but that wasn't working out for me. So y'all, I'm waking up early now, And, you know, it's actually, it's gotten pretty good. Like, I've gotten used to it. I actually like it now. But, man, that was not ideal. Okay, but guess what? You know what's more important than me not waking up early? The Bible's more important. Time with Jesus is more important. So I had to make that change. So maybe some of us need to make a change to find time and consistency in reading our Bibles. All right, so all that to say, find a plan and stick with it. All right, so we read with a plan. Number four, we read with patience. We read with patience. Whenever we do something new, it requires patience, right? Whenever we're starting out with something new, we're going to hit some road bumps, we're going to hit some snags, we're going to hit some frustration, so we got to be patient. I-, I told some of y'all this uh, last week, but we got a puppy last weekend. got a dog. Uh, we've been planning and thinking about this for a while. Uh, the kids have been wanting one for a long time, and I was the last person to convince. And I finally broke down and gave in. And, uh, you know, it's a... Uh, it's, it's going, you know, it's going, all right, that's the best I can say right now, so it's a puppy, you know, puppy, and you got to teach the puppy to go to the bathroom outside and not inside, and it takes a while, it requires patience to do that, and, uh, and man, so with me waking up early, you know who else wakes up early? The dog, the dog wakes up early, and she's ready to go, and I'm not, and it's just, it's, it's rough, so earlier this week, I don't know if it rained down here, but where I was, uh, it rained on, uh, I think it was Wednesday morning, it was just like pouring, so I get up 5 a.m., And it's pouring outside, and I'm like, I gotta let the dog out. And y'all, she's never seen the rain, I guess, and just did not want to go out. So instead of going to the bathroom outside, guess what she decided to do? Go to the bathroom inside. And guess who was cleaning up multiple accidents from the time that I got up until the time I put her back in her crate when the kids left for school? That that was me. And y'all, you can ask my kids, I was not in a good mood that morning. I was not happy with that dog. And if it was not for my kids' love of that dog, it would not be in our house anymore. I was ready to send that thing back where it came from. But as my kids reminded me that morning, and Kendra reminded me, that it's a puppy. It's a puppy, and this is gonna happen. You gotta have patience. And it's the same when we read our Bible. When when we're starting out with this, we've never done this more intense study of our Bible. I just wanna encourage you, have patience. Have patience. It's gonna take some time to get comfortable and consistent, so be patient with your new commitment and your new approach. It's not always going to come easy right away. It's going to take a little bit of work for us to really understand and apply that passage. Uh, Be patient when you read. Don't rush when you read. So we just so quickly are like, okay, I read it. Now what does it mean? Like we just jump to interpretation and application. We don't allow time for the word to really soak down into our hearts. Go slow. Nobody's rushing you on this. You don't get a gold star because you finished the book in in just a matter of days like there's no prize for that take your time read slowly study slowly give time for interpretation and understanding and application to come give time for the holy spirit to work in your reading don't just move on you're like man i don't understand that so i'm just moving on to the next thing no no no. give it a couple of days give it some time go slow be patient with your reading. And then be, I would say be patient with different seasons of life. Be patient. So I, I, some of you are, are hearing this right now, and maybe you're like, man, I'm ready to jump in. I've got the time, I've got the margin, I'm ready to go. And some of y'all right now, especially maybe those of you with little kids or, or really demanding jobs, you're like, Travis, I hear you, but I already wake up at like 5 a.m. to go to work. All right, I don't got time to wake up at 4 a.m. because then I'll be that exhausted at my job. Right? Like, I, Some of y'all are like, man, I don't, I don't have the margin and the time right now. And I just wanted you to know, I, I hear you. I hear you. I understand, like, we go through different seasons of life where the margin and time that we have changes and fluctuates. So maybe you're in a season right now where where you're spread thin, where it's tight. And here's what I want to say to you. I hear you, and most importantly, Jesus knows that, all right? Jesus knows the time and the margin that you have, okay? And if you're using all that time wisely, you're being smart about it, and you're just like, man, I I don't have time for this amount of work that you're saying, I hear you. So keep it simple. Use what you have, right? Like, make do with what you do have. Make do with the margin and the time that you do have. Make, make those moments count. And if it's a little less right now, that, that's okay. That's okay, because it, it's, it's just a season. It's just a season. And as soon as the season is over, and you've got some more time, you've got some more margin, things look a little differently, well, then you can add more time to this, right? Like, I don't want you to feel this, this burden, to do, like, this isn't homework, right? Like, this is, this is coming to the word of God to sit with him and be with him, right? Like, I want this to be a blessing to you. So, so maybe you need to simplify. And look, I, again, I, I can help you with that. But be patient in the season that you're in with the time that you do have, all right? Some of y'all, maybe you need to be like me, and it's like, hey, you know what? I actually do have time. I don't like the answer to when I have time, but you know what? This matters more, so I'm gonna do it. But maybe you're like, no, like I said, maybe you're just like, no, I don't, I don't have the time, Travis, I just, I hear you, okay? I get it, it's okay. Give yourself a break, all right? It'll be all right, I promise. Um, okay, so last, last point, we'll end here. Uh, so we, we read with the right approach, we read with our mind and our heart, we read with a plan, we read with patience. Fifth thing, we read to encounter Jesus. We read to encounter Jesus. When we read the Bible, the most important thing to remember when we open these pages is when we read scripture, We encounter Jesus. We encounter Jesus. He is the point of all of this, right? Every story, every book, everything that happens, it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. He is the most important thing in all of scripture. It's all about him, right? It's all about him. I love how the Jesus storybook, about his kid's Bible, says that every story whispers his name. Every story, doesn't matter what you're reading, doesn't matter, you're in those weird parts of the Old Testament, every story points to Jesus. And so when we open our Bibles, when we read scripture, man, we're, we're being brought into the presence of Jesus. We're being brought in to, to commune with him, to fellowship with him, to spend time with him. That's what happens, we open our Bibles, we step into the presence of of Jesus. And again, this happens with no matter where we're reading, because it's all about him. Jesus confirms this. There's this incredible story in Luke chapter 24, where Jesus has been raised from the dead, right? This is Easter Sunday morning, 2,000 years ago. Jesus raised from the dead, and he appears to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and this is what happens says it now that same, this is Luke 24, starting verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place, everything that had been going on with Jesus, his, his arrest, his crucifixion. And now people say, man, the, the tomb is empty. They're discussing all of this. Verse 15, and while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. So all they see is just this strange, this dude coming up and talking to him. And here's what Jesus says. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and they looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? And I love this, Jesus is like, what things? What are you talking about? What's going on? I love that. It's Jesus saying, tell, tell me about that. What's been happening? So they tell him. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, this is the third day since these things happened. Moreover some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb and when they didn't find his body they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said but they didn't see him. In verse 25 Jesus said to them, "How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets, all that the prophets have spoken." Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter his glory. Verse 27, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Man, how would you love to hear Jesus talking about the Old Testament that way? Hey, y'all, you remember when this happened? Yeah, that was actually about me. You remember when, when they parted the Red Sea? Yeah, that was about me. You remember when they came into the promised land? Yeah, that was about me. You remember King David? You know all about King David? Yeah, that foreshadows me. This is all about me. It's all about jesus let's keep going here so he tells them that verse 28 they came near the village where they were going and he gave the impression that he was going farther but they urged him stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over so he went in to stay with them it was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread blessed it and broke it and gave it to them Then their eyes were open and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. Verse 32 They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? So when they finally realized who they were with, that they were in the presence of Jesus, they go, Man, we should have known. We should have known that was Jesus because our hearts were burning. That phrase, our hearts were burning, means that, that it's this, this idea of, of intense joy. This something that, that makes us feel alive, a burst in energy, a burst in spirit, right? That's what it means to have our hearts burning. And when were their hearts burning? It wasn't when they realized who they were with. No, they said our hearts were burning when what? He was explaining the scriptures to them. And when we open our Bibles, we step into the presence of Jesus. We commune with our Savior. We draw close to Jesus as we read and we learn about him. And look, maybe some of us here, our hearts have grown cold. Hearts are a little cold and and they need to be warmed up a little bit. Maybe we're just feeling a little dead spiritually. We're just in in a lull. We're just in in an apathetic state right now and our hearts need to get more on fire. How do we do that? we go here. We open up our Bibles, and we read, and we step into the presence of Jesus, and through his word, he sets our hearts on fire. He makes us feel alive in him. So if you're feeling a little cold, if you're feeling a little dead, let's open our Bibles. Let's let our hearts get warmed up by Jesus again. So let's dig in, let's read, let's study. Let's do the hard work of understanding what this is about, learning about who God is and who we're to be in light of that. Let's be more like the Bereans. Let's approach the Bible with eagerness, daily examining the scriptures. Church, in a moment I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna step into a time of communion like we do every week. And so as we do, as I pray, I want you to be praying with us. And for those of you in here that, that are believers, this is a time for us. This is a time for us as believers to pray, to reflect, to worship. Maybe to spend some time repenting of sin. Maybe you need to you're convicted about maybe your, your lack of study, your lack of reading. And it's time to just say, Jesus, I want more. I want more. My heart's grown cold. Would you make me alive? Would you warm me up again? And as you're ready, you can go to either side of the table. You take the bread and the cup representing his shed blood and broken body on the cross. We take, we eat, and we worship, and we celebrate our good God and Savior. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I love you. love that you're here. This time is not for you. This time is only for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, but I want to encourage you. What the story of Scripture tells us is that Jesus loves you so much that he left heaven to come down and give his life for you. And what these pages tell us is that it's only in him that we find forgiveness. It's only in him that we find eternal life. So stop searching for satisfaction here. Stop searching for fulfillment in life here. We can't find it here. It's only found in Jesus. So if you're here and you want to put your faith in him, if you want to have questions about that, if you want to know what more, uh, what that looks like, I'll be hanging out in the back. I'd love to talk with you about that, pray with you, answer any questions you might have. So church, let me, let me pray for us and we'll step into a time of worship and communion. Jesus, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the gift that is your word, Jesus. I thank you for giving it to us. I thank you for preserving this for thousands of years that we would have your word before us today. I thank you for the gift that, that is uh, English, translations, understandable translations interpreted and, and translated into our language. Well, that's such a gift. And forgive me, Lord, for taking that for granted. So Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you lead us to be more like the Bereans. Lord, let us be a church filled with people who are daily examining the scriptures, filled with people who come to your word with eagerness and excitement and joy, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for all that you've done for us. And It's in your name that we pray, amen.